Uh, I want to um, deal uh, over this weekend with success. Success, what it means, what it is, we're going to deal with tomorrow morning. But I, I just want to read something um, from Calvin uh, to start. And just get your brain around this. Bright, however, as is the manifestation which God gives both of himself and his immortal kingdom in the mirror of his works, so great is our stupidity, so dull are we in regard to those bright manifestations that we derive no benefit from them. But we are all alike in this, that we substitute monstrous fictions for the one living and true God. Almost every man has had his own God. To the darkness of ignorance have been added presumption and wantonness, and hence there is scarcely an individual to be found without some idol or phantom as a substitute for deity. Like water gushing forth from a large and copious spring, immense crowds of gods have issued from the human mind, every man giving himself full license and devising some peculiar form of divinity to meet his own views. Man actually makes God what he wants him to be. And uh, one of the things that... Uh, I want to deal with is uh, you're alienated from God in your mind. The mind and the thinking is where people get alienated from God. And uh, people's lives go wrong because they think wrong. Success never happens to a lot of people because their minds are totally wrong in their thinking. And they get trapped into an idea of what God's like. And one of the things that's happening in Christendom is a whole idea that somehow the devil got control of certain parts of things. Well, I want to explain something to you, and the truth is this. And think about it. God is called Almighty. Is that correct? Now, why is he called Almighty God? Because he has all might. Now there was never a day in all of creation when God wasn't totally in control of everything. Hello? There's never been a day from the moment of creation where God isn't in control of everything because... My Bible tells me that Jesus Christ created all things and when he created all things, everything is upheld by the power of his word. Is that correct? Hello? Is that correct? Life comes from him. Life emanates from God. Without him, nothing exists. He spoke the worlds from naught. Zero. Nothing. And everything that was created was created by the word. And everything that exists is upheld by the word. Now, if everything that exists owns it, owes its being 
to God and his word. And everything's upheld by the power of his word. And he has all authority in heaven, on earth, under the earth. And he's almighty God. What authority has the devil got? Hello? Absolutely none. He can't have. If all authorities in Christ, in heaven, on earth, and now the name of Jesus is above every name, not only in this world, but in that which is to come, according to Scripture. So there is no way that any devil, demon, principality, power, gobbledygook, dragon, you name it, can have any power or authority at all. But if you create God in the image of man, what you'll do is you'll have a God who fails, a God who fights, a God who's incapable of conquering, a God who cannot live in victory, a God who's not in control. That is not the true God. And Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, he said there are many Jesuses preached, there are many spirits ministered, But there's only one true Jesus. Jesus, whose Father is God. And there are three persons in one God. Three persons. The Holy Spirit is not a liquid, he is a person. Is that plain? He cannot leak out of you, he's a person. The Bible makes it quite plain. Three persons in one God. The whole of the charismatic move has blasphemed when they turn around and suggest that somehow you can be uh, full of the Holy Spirit one day and, and then you can lose his presence the next day because you're a leaky vessel. That is just absurd. He's a person. Is that plain? That's what the Bible says. I know it's not what Pentecostals say, but that's what the Bible says. And I'm a Bible believer. Three persons. Is that plain? Okay. And God is almighty over everything. So we're coming to a conference talking about success. Well, you'll never have success unless you come to the right God. If you come to a God made like man and four-footed things, you're not going to come to any success. Romans says that there were people who didn't like to retain the true God in their, in their understanding, so they made up God. Romans chapter 1. And they made God conformable to what they were like. And that's what's happened all over the world People have made God in their own image. And so when they get up to pray, they don't pray to God, they pray to themselves. Because it's God of their own image. 
There's that plane. Very uncomfortable, but very true. People pray to themselves. And their God is not the true God. And so as Calvin said, quite rightly, they think of all these ideas and they come out of their own mind. And they get stuck. Now, you won't get successful if you have the wrong God. You won't ever get into life. And I was talking with a master's class this morning. And um, it's amazing that all over the world, the great doctrine is Jesus is coming again. Perusia. Well, it doesn't mean coming, it means present. That's what the Greek word means. He isn't coming, he's here. And that's what I love. There's never going to be what a lot of people have falsely taught, a thousand years rule. Jerusalem is not going to be rebuilt, thank God. I'm not waiting for something to happen in Israel, thank God. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, my Bible teaches. We're all one in Christ. It's amazing how many Christians have left what Jesus taught and what Paul taught and gone into fables. And so what we want to do to be successful in life, you need to believe the right things. There won't be a millennial rule down on earth like they're putting over because it's a false concept. It never was in Scripture. Jesus is never coming back to this earth. Thank God. The Bible teaches quite clearly what's going to happen. There's going to be a day when the trumpet shall sound, every eye shall behold him, those that are dead in Christ shall rise up first, and then we that remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. He's going to roll up the heavens as a scroll. He's going to burn the earth with unquenchable fire. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. A new Jerusalem is going to come down out of heaven from God and we'll ever be with the Lord in the bride of Christ. And all those of the saved, of the nations of the saved, will be able to come in and out of the city. But it will be a totally different place. There will never be a temple where sacrifice is because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has dealt with it once and for all. There will never be a reinstitution of sacrifices. There will never be a recommencement of building in Jerusalem. The body of sin has been put off. Wonderful. God has done it all. And, and when you start talking to Christians, they live as though they want to understand the future. They always want to explain the future. 
And, you know, they come and they think there's great prophets around uh, and can tell you what's going to happen. It didn't work. Never will work. But it sounds good. And, of course, there's, it's a $2 billion business every year. That's what it is. It's a business. It's not, nothing to do with Christianity. It's a business. Hello? It's a business. When you ask them how many people are healed, how many blind eyes open, how many cripples are walking, how many people find the cancers wither, how many people... Oh, no, no, no. We're in end times. You know, what God sent us to do was preach, teach, and heal. What he didn't send us to do was live by mythology. Is that plain? Hello? So a men's conference is talking about manly things. Uh, and if you don't want to be confronted, you came to the wrong place. If you don't want to be challenged, you certainly came to the wrong place. If you don't want it straight, you came to the wrong place. I don't care. To me, I, I was thinking about it. I, I remember years ago meeting people, uh, young people, who were petrified that the Lord was going to come. You know, when they were children, if there was a thunderstorm and they woke up in the night, they were afraid that it was the coming of Christ. And they'd run into their parents' bedroom to see whether their parents were still there. Children living in fear. Told, you know, you get left behind. You know, the Lord's coming like a thief. No, no, I'm sorry. My Bible says the sound of the trumpet, every eye shall behold him. We will be caught up to meet him. He's not coming down here. Is that plain? His feet will never touch this earth again. Glory to God. Now he lives in me. God the Father lives in me. The Holy Spirit lives in me. But Jesus isn't coming back to this earth in the sense of coming from the throne. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's not coming back. Isn't that a great relief? Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm glad that the Lord Jesus Christ is not coming back. Uh, and, you know, he's going to set up his headquarters in Jerusalem. Could you imagine trying to run this earth? I mean, God can do anything. But I mean, he don't want to come back here. Uh, and if you're one of these people that want to be a ruler of ten cities or five cities down here, they're stinking. I, I want the new heaven and the new earth. I look for a city whose builder and maker is God. A city that has foundations that are right. What I wouldn't want is a, a place down here. Is that plain? Because I get hurt by delusion. And I get hurt by false things. And I get hurt when I see people that are lied to. People that live with this proverbial carrot dangled before them. Oh, well, you know, God is going to do it one day. Revival is not even a biblical term.
except when the law comes, sin revives. Uh, it mentions that in scripture. The only other time it's mentioned is when Christ rose by the glory of the Father after Calvary, came out of the tomb. The only two times it's mentioned, and actually we rose with him. So when we become true believers, we are revived. We were dead in trespasses and sin. We're translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, and we're totally transformed. We become partakers of the divine nature. We receive the life of God within. Okay? Now, all I'm doing is laying a basis for what I'm going to say tomorrow about success. Because if you're in the wrong area and, and your life's wrong <laughs> and you're believing all the wrong things, you'll never get to success at all. If you're following a God of your own heart, you're going to miss it all. And, and I, I find people don't understand that my God is a God of love. The true God is a God of love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the whole thing is based on love. Now, perfect love casts out all fear. Because fear has torment. And I find so many Christians are afraid and condemned and feel a failure because they've always been told they've got to accomplish things and achieve things. Or to put it another way, they go about to establish their own righteousness and they try and live a Christian life. The one good thing about trying to live a Christian life is when you come to a knowledge that you can't. It's impossible to live the life of Christ until Christ is in you. It is impossible to do what's right in your own strength because you're totally depraved and there is no good thing in you until you're born from above by the power of the Holy Ghost, totally transformed, the power of sin's broken inside you and you have new life in Christ. Up to that point, Christianity is dead to you and you're dead to Christianity. Is that plain? Hello? Wonderful, isn't it? So simple. And so, let's look in Romans chapter 10. You think, I, I, good authorized version. And here Paul writes the Romans and he says this. In Romans chapter 10, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God, to God, for Israel, that they might be saved. Now here's Paul, a Jew, Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he said, look, my heart's desire was that Israel would get saved. And a lot of people, they say, oh, well, you know, they go back to the old covenant and they say, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And you'll be blessed. But that's old covenant. And the old covenant's been done away in Christ. Doesn't exist anymore. We've got a new covenant. 
based on better promises with a better hope. And I think if you've got something that's better, you don't go back to something that's no good. Don't you agree with that? Better promises, better hope. And so, it goes on. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now, that's one of the problems. People try to be and try to live what they think God wants them to live. And if you do that, the one thing you don't submit yourself to is the righteousness of God. You go about to establish your own. And the trouble is, you can never make yourself acceptable to God because the Bible said all our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. So if you're trying to live a Christian life yourself, you're not going to make it. Now, is that plain? I mean, this is only ABC. It's simple, okay? You can't make it. And then it goes on and explains it. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, the one good thing that happens when Christ comes is it's the end of the law for righteousness. In other words, you suddenly realize, hey, there's no way I can fulfill the demands of legalism. I can't do it. It's the end of the law. For righteousness. I can't be what everyone tells me I ought to be. When I, when I first came to Christ, I was amazed how many people could tell me what I ought to do. You know, if you're a Christian, you ought to do this, you ought to do that. You mustn't do this, you mustn't do that. They were such miserable people. And they wanted me to join in their misery. And I didn't like their misery. I didn't like their lifestyle. And I thought, goodness me, if I have to be as miserable as them, I don't want to be a Christian. Now what they were doing was living under law. And they got this idea that what you do, you have to please God. And woe betide you if you upset God, he'd zap you one, or he'd put a disease on you, or he'd curse you, or he'd cream you. And you'd be picked up off the tarmac like marmalade. I mean, the whole idea was a vengeful God. And I find a lot of Christians, that's their idea. They feel, if something goes wrong, what's God trying to say to me? As though God, to get your attention, goes, whoom! And then you think, what are you trying to say? Now, look, if God wants to speak to you, he can speak to you without splattering you. Is that plain? And my God is a God of love. And we're his children. Now, children should not be splattered by their parents. You know, if you love your children... 
you spoil them chronically. Now, you discipline them, but if you really love them, discipline is not harsh. Love has a way of disciplining without violence. I'm glad to say I've had three children. And the thing was, with three children, I can count on two hands the number of times I smacked them. I'm glad to say I can. You see, authority isn't in violence. Authority is in your spirit. And if you have authority, you can deal with people without violence. Hello? You know, if you have the authority of God, it's very easy. If you don't, you're knackered. And if you've got the wrong righteousness, this righteousness where you, you've got to act, sub, subjugate yourself, then your image of God is of a God who's angry, a God who's against you. And you're trying to placate the God who's against you in case you upset him. Now that is heathen worship, not Christianity. Because I don't have to do anything to please God. Jesus did it all. And God looks on us because we have the life of Christ within. And we can say with Paul, I live, nevertheless not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, not in the spirit, in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. It's God in me. And it's a wonderful life of freedom because he lives in me. I live, nevertheless not I, but Christ liveth in me. Now that's a Christian testimony. It's not a testimony of someone who's religious. It's someone who's Christian. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And wonderful if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away, all things become new, and all things are of God, who in Christ Jesus hath reconciled us unto himself. Wonderful. So the whole of your life, you become a partaker of the divine nature, and God lives out his life in you. Now we have this treasure in the earthen vessel, that the excellency of the power might be of God and not of us. And it's a wonderful freedom. And God loves us, and it's all grace. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift, a gift of God. It's not what I do, it's what he did for me. 2,000 years ago, Christ dealt with everything. 2,000 years ago, he broke the power of sin. 2,000 years ago, he smashed the power of the enemy. 2,000 years ago, he led captivity captive. 2,000 years, he did it all. And grace is totally undeserved favor, which I receive every moment of every day from a, a Lord who's full of grace and truth, who loves me so much that he picked me up 
cleansed me off, gave me a robe of righteousness, put his spirit within me, put his life within me, and said, now, get on with it. And the truth is, it's very easy. Christianity is the easiest faith because it's God in you. And it's his power, his life, his righteousness. Jesus is my holiness. Jesus is my life. Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus is my sanctification. Sanctification is not a process, it's a person. Jesus is my redemption. And it's so, so easy being a Christian. It's just a delight. No struggle ever. Just so easy. You know, God never has difficulty being himself. And that's what's so wonderful. And Christ in you, it's easy. Okay? Is that, is that understood? Easy understood? Hello? You know, are you sure? No one, you, you know, you, oh, you know, it's sick. That which I would not, that I do. Get born again. You're a heathen. Uh, you know, oh, it's a struggle. You're, you're a heathen. You're not a Christian. You're in the wrong place. When Christ comes, everything's wonderful. And if you don't have that, you've got nothing. I love the gospel. It's good news. You know, there's nothing miserable about the gospel. Hey, it's great when you have a gift. God gives you something, and he said, there you are. And it's the whole package. You've got the whole deal right at the start. Everything. You know, Christ is a person. You can't have a little bit of Jesus, and then the next day you get a bit more, and the next day you get a... No, 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 no. He's a person. When he comes in to live, you have him. You don't get a little bit of the Holy Spirit, you know, and then you better take another swig to get some more. No, he's a person. And you don't have a little bit of God the Father. Jesus said, look, I'll come and make my abode in you, and my Father will come also, and we'll abide in you. So we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost living in us. Wonderful. So I don't try to bring God down from heaven, as it says in Romans chapter 10, and I don't need to reach down to bring God up from the dead. What does the Bible say? The word's nigh you, the word of faith which we preach. It's in your heart and it's in your mouth. And it's simple. The gospel is a good news of God having done it all, redeemed us, body, soul, and spirit, having done everything, and he's made peace through his cross. And hey, we've got forgiveness, we've got restoration, we've got life, and there's no condemnation, there's no past, I've got a future. He blotted out all my past. He took out of the way everything that was contrary to me, nailing it to his cross. The handwriting of ordinances that was against me, dealt with. There's nothing against me. And God is for me. And the Bible says, if God be for you, who can be against you? No one. And what a relief. 
that's Christianity. So over this weekend, we want to talk about success. But we need to know that we're starting in the right place. See, if you, if you haven't got there, you haven't even started. You're a heathen. I, I meet a lot of heathens who call themselves, oh, I know I was saved. There came a day when I made a decision. Very nice. But it didn't work. See, me making a decision won't work. What happens is God saves me. I'm born again, not of the will of man, nor of the will of flesh. I'm born again of God. It's a sovereign work of God. God does it. And if God hasn't done it, it doesn't happen. It's not what I do. And as I say to people all over the world when I go, you know, and it's amazing. Some countries you go to, it quite shocks them, especially Africa and South America. But the truth is, you know, lots of people come to give their life to Christ. He doesn't want your stinking life. Do understand that. God's not interested in your stinking life. He came to give you his life. Is that plain? You know, if you're totally depraved from your first birth, which you are, the last thing God wants is your life. <laughs> what he wants to do is give you his life. Is that, is that clear? Hello? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Don't go about trying to establish your own righteousness. Thank goodness me, I can't do that. Now, isn't that simple? I mean, can I make it any plainer? I don't think so. I just find, do you know, I just love the gospel, the good news. God did not trust me to do anything right because he knew I wouldn't. So he did it all in sending his son. <laughs> and he loves me. And he loves you. And he knew if you were left to do one single thing to do with your salvation, you'd make a pig's ear of it. And so he didn't leave anything to chance. He did it all. And that's the wonderful thing with our God. He knows us. Well, our feeble frame he knows. And he thinks, goodness me, if you dare leave anything for them to do, they'll mess it up. So he took everything out of the way. And that's, that's good news. He said, look, you're not capable. There's not one thing you could do. You can't even say amen correctly. Not anything you can do. Uh, and so he made a plan of salvation that excluded you, and he worked it out, excluding you. 2,000 years, while you were alienated from God and an enemy of God, Christ died for you to redeem you. Hey, he knew you would never make it, so he did it. Now, I find that the most wonderful thing. You know, so wonderful to know God didn't trust you or me. Hello? Isn't that wonderful? You know, you should all be jumping up and down and shouting, Amen. No, you won't. Now, when you tell people the truth, They've got a God in their own image. You mean we don't have to do anything? Yes. I really mean it. You mean 
I don't have to pray. Please don't. I don't have to seek. You will never find. Because if you seek a God in your own image, you won't find the true God. And, and the person that knows God knows that he did nothing at all for his salvation. The person that thinks he did something for it made a decision. Did something. He's not saved. Because the man who knows God's grace knows he could do nothing to earn it, to achieve it, to accomplish it. It was God's love for me, God's love for you. He did it all. And that's what's so wonderful about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Savior, and he does it all. And that's what I love God for. Do you, if you look round, there's not one person here who's halfway decent until God gets them. And when God gets them and changes them, then they're almost human. And God gets inside them, and his life comes out, and it's wonderful. But the thing is, it's nothing that I did. It's what he did for me. And you'll find any true Christian will never, ever lay claim to having done anything. He'll lay claim to having tried to get away from everything. I got saved by trying to prove God didn't exist. It was a hard job, and I didn't succeed. But I wasn't seeking God. And my Bible says there's none that seeketh after God. No, not one. When you begin to realize what God's purpose is, and when you begin to see God's outfolding, you know, all over the world, people are looking for answers. The answer is in family, in home. The church is a big family. And the family is a small church. And God's whole intention was that we should be in families. He never intended that we should be outside of it. And a church is a big family. I see so many people are disconnected from the body of Christ. They think they can survive on their own. You can't survive on your own. You won't grow as God intends unless you're nourished by that which every joint supplies. You have to be part of a living organism called the body of Christ. You have to be part of it, and the more you're part of it and nourished by it, the more you grow, and you grow healthy. And the whole purpose of God is to establish his church on the earth. Jesus Christ is building his church, not an individual, his church. He's about church building. He's never about individual building. And the church comprises of the individuals who have been drawn together into the family. And they become a body. And they become an expression of Christ in the earth. And the reason they're an expression of him in the earth is because Christ lives in them, each one. And... Together, corporately, we express a life that can't be expressed by an individual. And that's why it's so essential to be part of a body. 
And so we want to talk about success, but it's all to do with success in a body. It's not to do with success as an individual. Uh, and once you understand that, and once you understand what God's about, and once you understand that it's his life in you, and once you understand that Jesus has done it all, and once you understand that it's easy, and once you get rid of your past, it doesn't matter what happened before this day, you don't have a past, you have a future. Once you understand that, it's easy. Totally and utterly easy. I find too many people are locked up in themselves. They haven't learned how to fellowship. They haven't learned how to communicate. They haven't learned how to be free. They haven't learned how to enjoy life. They haven't learned how to enjoy people. They haven't learned. Because one of the greatest gifts of all is love. And if you can't communicate and care and have compassion and love, don't call yourself a Christian. If you can't be open, don't call yourself a Christian. One of the things that's very plain is the Bible says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. The qualification for cleansing from sin is fellowship with one another. And if you can't fellowship with people... If you feel you're all locked up in yourself, get born again. Get the Spirit of Christ in you. If you can't live in open fellowship with people, you've got a problem. Because the Bible makes it very plain. If you're in the light like he is in the light, you will have fellowship. And if you can't have fellowship, it's because you're in darkness. You need the light of life in your life so you can fellowship. And then you find the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses you all the time, keeps you. Is that plain? 